Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. I got a treat for you today. Uh, Jim Boone, head coach, Delta State University, one of the great D2 coaches in America, one of the great teachers, clinicians that we have in our country. You're going to find this to be absolutely fascinating about how to grow a program, how to create culture, how to teach, what he does with his man defense, how does he teach his pack line defense. We we scrimmaged a little head-to-head on I had some good questions for him, and boy, his answers were better. Uh, love what he's doing. Love how, what, how his commitment is to teaching and growing our game. Uh, it's going to be something that's going to be a great influence with you. So after our sponsors, let's have a good listen with Jim Boone, Delta State. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Hey, welcome back to our podcast. Uh, really excited today. have a tremendous coach that I've known for a long time that I have unbelievable respect for in Jim Boone of Delta State University in Mississippi, not too far from where I am in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Jim, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Coach. Uh, thanks, thanks so much for having me today. It's uh, it's a real pleasure. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, we've known each other for a long time and have the greatest amount of respect for you and everything you do for coaches and. To be a part of this is uh, it's big time. You made my day. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I'm making everyone else's day. That's good. I, <laughs> I, 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 that's the good thing about being out of coaching, boy. I'm making everyone's day. Uh, but that's that that's good. I, last year, I made a lot of other coaches' days when they played us. But uh, this, oh no, no, no. But uh, listen, one of the things that uh, that I, I I really marvel about what you're doing right now, and I'm going to bring it fast forward in a second is. I, I love you're one of the great teachers in the game, and I love how you're out there. And you're, you, you, as my friend and former partner Kevin Eastman used to say, you know, you never turn down it seems like a basketball opportunity. And you, you're out there and you're teaching and you're going to places where you're like a damn basketball missionary, you know, <laughs> you know, which is I think the highest form of you know compliment I can give you. You, you teach it because people are interested and they want to learn and uh, you know and that's the that's the sign of a great teacher what where does that come from well first of all i'm really pleased that there are people that that are interested in what we have to say uh because it's a real passion of mine to be able to have the opportunity to go out and share with other coaches and 
and talk about the things that we do and why we do them and and some of the things that we've learned over over learned over our career um you know i i had a great fortune coach that when i when i started coaching um i had people all around me that were tremendous in sharing and helping and guiding my career um you know, from from my high school coach, who was extremely instrumental, uh, to a good friend of, of you and I, Bob Starkey, I went to high school with. We we did so many basketball things together, and a huge part of our friendship. Um, you know, and then getting to know some people like uh, Coach Knight, um, and having the opportunity to go out and work his camps and visit with him and learn from him. Don Meyer, uh, who mm-hmm. was such a, a big part of my life and helping me as a coach. Uh, I don't know that there's been a better friend to all coaches than what Coach Meyer uh, was to all of us and and even after his passing continues to be mm-hmm. uh, with the legacy that he has left. The um, uh, Dick Bennett, uh, who's as gracious and as humble of individual as could possibly be, uh, Mike Heideman, who when he was at Wisconsin Green Bay, you know, all these guys reached out and, and shared with me and had no pretense whatsoever, didn't hold anything back. And so that's what we've tried to do. Um, you know, we, we just want to give what we have. And uh, we, we're not – there are no secrets. We're not trying to hold anything back. We're giving you all that we have and all that we do. And – and uh, every once in a while, I get asked a question: "Were you worried about you?" No, I'm not worried about anybody picking up on what we do. It's right. we're pretty simplistic in our approach, and it's just about uh, what we do. It's not as much what we do; it's how we do it. But um, yeah, it's just, and then I, I've been lucky because of wanting to do this, but also it's something that I thoroughly enjoy doing. So when you can combine those two things together, you know that's really special. You know, uh, I'm going to, as we talked about beforehand, I'm going to kind of, you know, crisscross all over. Uh, and, and no better person to ask than a person that's so dedicated to the profession as you. To you, what's coaching? It doesn't matter what sport. What, what's coaching to you? Well, that's a great question. And it, it encompasses so many things. Mm-hmm. In its essence, coaching is teaching. Um, right. and, you know, people ask me a lot of, you know, who, who am I? And I, you know, I always, I know that we're not supposed to be defined by our jobs, but I really, that's who I am. I'm a coach. I'm a teacher. Uh, I love teaching and we're not just teaching the game of basketball. We're teaching the game of life. And that's where we put on other hats as coaches, right. um, you know, we're here for our guys. It's all about our players. It's all about our student athletes trying to help them develop into future leaders of their um, communities of, you know, to be good husbands and fathers, uh, uh, to help them through the trials and tribulations of, of a, you know, a college career. It's a, that's very, um, it's, it's a, it can be a rocky time. In, in a young man's life, uh, there's so much going on. There's, there's just so many, so many, um, distractions in today's world. Uh, 
and I, I think we have a big role in that. I, you know, when I speak at the clinics that I go out to, one of the things I always make sure that I do, and I know all of us do this, but how much we appreciate the the guys that are really in the trenches, the high school coaches and the junior high school coaches and the uh, you know the youth coaches because they have such a greater impact than than all of us do. Uh, you know, they're they're coaching and teaching and mentoring and guiding and you know being a father, a psychologist, uh, you know what have you to to their guys during their most uh, developmental years. And they truly are developing the leaders of tomorrow and impacting the young people uh, of today for tomorrow. And we just hope that we can take that one step further and help our guys and, and be here for them. Jim, one of the most important things I ask myself and everyone I speak to every year when I do uh, my clinics is in, on a podcast, and I'm going to do it with you because I think – you know, the effect uh, that you have. I mean, everyone knows the NBA coach, the Steve Kerr's, the Doc Rivers, the Popovich, the Phil Jackson's of the world. But, you know, the the idea, and everyone knows the, the Coach K and the Roy Williams and all the Power Five guys, okay? But, you know, there's 10 times more coaches at the other levels and other schools than there are those people, maybe 100 times more. But why do you coach? We talked about what is coaching, but why do you coach? Well, another another really uh, great question that gets right to the heart of it. Um, you do it for the kids. You know, if you're coaching, if you're teaching to, to teach X's and O's, to teach basketball, then you're living a very shallow life. Uh, you know, we're coaching to help young people and to help grow them, to help develop them, to help them prepare for the broader community uh, after college. And if you don't love your kids more than you love the game, uh, then, then I think that you're in it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. We, I, I've been very fortunate to have coached my own son. And I think when I coached my own son, it really helped me to see things from a different viewpoint. Um, and we've continued to, to try to do it from that, from that standpoint where it's all about our players first. It's about our student athletes first and foremost. And what can we do to best serve them, to best help them? I think that's uh, not that I, who am I to judge, you know, hey, that's the right answer. But that is the answer that I believe that we should be in it for, you know, help grow young uh you know, boys and girls and make them men and women uh, is number one, you know, help them get degrees. I mean, that's number two because, you know, heck, I mean, you know, every kid, I, every time I speak, I always ask every, at every men's team I speak and I speak all over the country to, you know, a lot of power five schools. And I say to them, how many of you want to become NBA players? And every single kid, <laughs> even the walk-ons raise their hand now, you know, and, oh and, yeah, and, and so they all raise their hand and, and and we both know that when the ball doesn't bounce anymore, you better be able to do something else. And this is, uh, you know, what we, you know, equipped for. And, you know, I played for the best, you know, or one of the best coaches in the world in UB Brown in high school. And, uh, you know, and, you know, and that was something as a young 14, 15 year old, you know, you know, that he kept, you know, saying. And, you know, and I, unfortunately, it, it kind of, you know, 
after I played for him and played in college, you know, 44 years later, I, I never worked a day in my life. All I'm doing is helping kids mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and that's, and that's what the essence is. Now, how did your basketball philosophy come to be? Was it through Don Meyer? Was it through Starkey or Dick Bennett or a combination of all of the above? Well, let, let me go back one step. Sure. And, and you, you hit on it right there. You know, all of us, we can go back uh, and, and, you know, why are we who we are today? And we can point to a coach mm-hmm. and how influential that coach was in our life. And for me and Bob Starkey that you mentioned, uh, Bob and I played for a middle school, junior high school coach named Alan Osborne. <laughs> and Alan still uh, – resides in West Virginia today, and he retired from high school coaching a year or so ago and is actually uh, working as a volunteer at one of the local universities near his home now. I wish I was close enough to put him on my staff. But yeah, yeah. He, uh, he was such a big part of our lives in shaping us as people and taught us so many lessons, but also uh, from a basketball perspective. And you ask where – my philosophy originated from and, and what we do and why we do it, it came from Coach Osborne. Um, it, it's growing from there. Sure. Obviously, you add your own uh, parts to it. But along the way, uh, you know, Coach was a uh, – you know, he was a big Coach Knight disciple, as many people were during sure. that time. That's when Coach Knight had just left Army and went to Indiana – Mm-hmm. and uh, was in his second or third year there and having the uh, tremendous success he was having. And Coach Osborne had actually went out and worked his camps as well. So, you know, a lot of what we were doing then from an X's and O's standpoint was was very similar to what Coach Knight was teaching at Indiana. And it just, you know, as a coach, there are things that just seem to resonate with you in terms of, you know, wow, this is how I want to do it. And so that kind of got me headed in that direction. But then I, I will have to say that Coach Meyer and and Coach Bennett and Rick Majerus, uh, mm. those three guys probably took me in a totally – they just opened a lot of other doors and other thoughts and ideas. And then I became a head coach at 27 years old. Wow. And I wasn't ready. I'll be the first one to tell you, I was not ready. I was very, very fortunate. Um, I was, I had a great coaching staff. Uh, Phil Stewart uh, was, was my full-time assistant at the time when we started. And Phil was a former player at California University of Pennsylvania, where I started at. He, uh, he had coached there as a, as a volunteer. And the unique story is he actually wanted the job. And they didn't hire him, and they gave it to me, and then said, "But we'd like for you to hire him as an assistant." We all know in the coaching world that sometimes can be the kiss of death. Sure. And for us, it was a blessing. You know, Phil ended up being a a great friend, a loyal and trusting coach, and an awesome teacher. Great coach. He and his wife Emmy Lou are still, you know, two of our best friends today. That's great. And then Dave Pilipovich was my grad assistant, and Dave is the current head coach at, at Air Force. Yeah. And so I was lucky. I stepped into a really good situation with some good players. and But what it gave me an opportunity to do was to 
to really kind of go out on my own and say, okay, you, and you know how this is as an assistant coach. I, I worked for a guy named Tommy Gaither at Charleston Southern, then Baptist College, and I thought I had all the answers. You know, I'm constantly telling coach, we should do it this way, we should do it that way, da-da-da-da-da. And then all of a sudden you become the head coach and you're like, wow, <laughs> what am I going to do here? <laughs> so it's uh, uh, that was a great learning experience for me. And we had some success there. We had a great deal of success. But we just couldn't seem to get past that first round of the NCAA tournament. And that's when Coach Meyer had won a couple of NEIA national titles. And back in those days, we didn't have cell phones and those things. So I reached out by letter to Coach Meyer and asked him if I could come down to visit. And to make a long story short, I was able to do that. And you talk about someone who just opened their doors and here's what we have and how can I help you. Uh, tremendous. And so that really was a big part of, of who we are as well. What, what, uh, what part of, uh, you know, and I know you, you use uh, the motion offense uh, with a lot of night principles. But what, you know, I, I wish we had camps now uh, where the coaches actually invested in the people that worked at the camps. Now it's totally changed the way it, that's how I grew up. And as a college player, I worked 10 weeks at camp a summer. You know, that's where I became uh, a coach, frankly, you know. Coach, I, I've, I've heard you talk about that. And it, it's one of the reasons I love listening to your uh, podcast because we have such similar backgrounds and mm -hmm. And, you know, we did it for to be to coach because we love doing that. And, you know, Bob and I did the same things growing up. We'd go work as many camps as we could in the summer. Uh, and one of the things and I, and I, I think coaches miss this today. And I'll tell this quick story. Uh, when I was an assistant coach at West Virginia State College, now West Virginia State University, it's a division two school in, in Charleston, West Virginia. I. Uh, went to the Metro Index Camp, which was a yeah, I remember that a, kind of a scouting camp, but it was like a five-star kind of deal. And I'm working the camp, and they, they put me with this coach that I'd never met before, which is awesome. And you get to know new people and exchange ideas. Well, this coach and I hit it off from day one, and we both had our notebooks that we were keeping all of our philosophical materials and how we were going to run a program when we got our own. And that's all we did every night after camp. He and I sat together and X and O'd and philosophized and talked about how we're going to set up our own program. <laughs> so that guy was Jeff Van Gundy. No way. Yeah, Jeff and I became pretty good friends after that. We stayed in pretty good contact until he got into broadcasting and kind of went in a different direction. But it's, it's amazing how small yeah. the basketball world is and how those camps brought everybody together. And we just don't have that same type yeah. of environment culture today that we had back in those days. I miss that. Me too. No, it was fun. And it's fun if you love to mentor people. It was a great way to do it. And I remember, uh, again, as a college player, I remember working the great Harry Litwack and Bill Foster uh, yeah, Duke, yeah. The Duke and Rutgers Bill Foster's camp and up in the Pocono Mountains and and at the end of the day when we put the little kitties to bed in their bunks and cabins, uh, you know, they those guys would stay and Harry Litwack was like the Temples coached his own and yeah. and they would just talk and then the speaker that was gonna speak the next day could be Dick Harder, could be Chuck Daly, you didn't George Raveling 
whoever that next speaker was, he was there too. So every well, night I, was a coach's clinic. And as a young crazy. coach, it didn't, you know, just a player. I'm a, not a coach. I'm a player. I'm just listening to these guys. I'm absolutely fascinated by them. <laughs> that's I, awesome. So, yeah. I mean, and that's how we learned, you know. And, and, it, and that unfortunately, you know, it was one of the great teachers of all time. And it's not available really anymore. And that's one of the reasons that we kind of do this. Because we, we want to teach people, you know, about all the things, unfortunately, they missed and stuff. But people have influenced to you. You mentioned your incredible middle school coach and stuff like that. How about a few others that, you know, we want to highlight? Uh, well, you know, I did mention Bob Starkey and Bob and I are, yep. the, you know, we went to high school together and played on the same teams. And uh, it's amazing how many coaches, and I've heard you say this before as well, uh, how, how many coaches have come out of a, a small area like West Virginia? It's, it's one of the cradles of coaching. It's absolutely incredible. Oh, there's some really good ones out there, football guys, basketball Save, guys. Saban, Jimbo, I mean, it's it's crazy. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so I was really blessed to, to kind of come up during a time when you had guys like that. And, you know, football coaches have been a big influence uh, on me as well. When I was coaching in Eastern Michigan, I had an opportunity to meet uh, Bo Simbeckler and spend mm-hmm. some time with him. And awesome guy! You know what a treasure uh, he was. Uh, Lloyd Carr as well, dear friend. And then, yep. Dear, you know, tremendous, special. tremendous. And you know, Coach Saban was coaching at Michigan State, and I had a chance to meet him briefly. Didn't have an opportunity to spend much time with him, but obviously, have studied his philosophy and his career. And it's, it's, uh, you know, I think he nails it without question. Uh, you know, and there's, you know, coaches, you go through this, uh, there's just been a tremendous amount of people that have helped you get where you want to get. But the biggest influences for me, again, from a basketball standpoint, you know, we, we, we really like how coach Knight has, uh, uh, taught offense i think rick majeris is one of the great teachers of the game period mm-hmm. so a lot of his offensive philosophies uh as well as his teaching post play uh have have woven within the fabric of our philosophy uh dick bennett's simplicity in his defensive approach uh has been a big part of what we do what i did is for 10 years, we were on the line, up the line, total denial, fight you for every inch of the court, switch all like screens. And it was really good for us when I was at California University of Pennsylvania. But as the years wore on there, we found out that uh, teams towards – once we got into conference play, we got into mid-January, 1st of February, we just couldn't turn teams over. We couldn't – and basically what our defense was doing with our pressure is it was feeding into creating offense for our opponent and so I had some real questions about what we were doing at that time but we were winning so many games that you didn't want to mess with it (laughs) and coupled with the fact that the game was starting to really make some drastic changes when I first started coaching we didn't have a shot clock And then when the shot clock came into effect, it was 45 seconds. So a lot of offense was east-west oriented. It was more about uh, reverse, 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 break your defense down, work, get a good shot. So consequently, defensively, a big part of what you tried to do was disrupt that. Well, now all of a sudden, with the advent of the shot clock, 
and just to change and and as you know haven't been in it as long as we both have the game is really cyclical it it always comes back around and the game was starting to change to more of a north south game and more of a dribble penetration game so i got the job at at robert morris university a uh, small division one school in pittsburgh and we inherited a team that had i don't know what it's something like four five six consecutive losing seasons and this this group of kids hadn't won at all and so i'd made a commitment that you know these and i'm one of these guys i've kind of made my niche as a coach as a as a build it guy you know we've taken the jobs that nobody else wanted <laughs> i didn't have a pedigree i didn't come from north carolina or indiana or kentucky so we've kind of made our way just through taking the jobs that other people didn't want as i mentioned i became a head coach at 27 because then i was blinded by ambition and just thought I want to be a head coach, and I want to be a head coach now, and I don't want to wait. <laughs> uh, I'd have been a lot better off if I would have waited. As I said, I got lucky, um, but there was so much to learn that I didn't even understand yet. But to make a long story to make a long story short, uh, when I went to Robert Morris, the they weren't very good. Now, I was fortunate that I inherited a great group of kids. And as I started to mention, I've always believed that when you take over a job, I'm not one of these guys that says, uh, you know, when I get my guys in here, when you take the job, those are your guys. That's your team. And so I took that team with that thought in mind that these are our guys and we're going to try to give them the absolute best opportunity to be successful. Now, I will say this. We had the absolute best group of kids I may have ever been around in my coaching career. And one of the – we won three games that first year. And I don't know how we won the three, but it was uh, one of the most fun teams and best group of kids I've ever been with. But when we walked in there, I knew we there's no way we can play defense the way we've been playing defense and survive in this league. So I gave our team – uh, we practiced Thursday morning at 6 a.m., and I got in a car, and I drove to Madison, Wisconsin. Coach Bennett was in his second year there, and I contacted him and his assistant coaching staff, Brad Soderberg, who's now at Virginia yeah. with Tony, yep. and asked him if I could come out and just study them. And so I gave our team Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. I said, you you guys will do, be a lot better off being off and letting me go to Wisconsin and learn a little bit about how we're going to play. And I, I watched those guys practice on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, that was the beginning of our teaching the pack line defense. And certainly over the years, we've added our, our twist to it and okay. how we approach it. But um, that's where it started 22 years ago. And I, I, whenever I talk to anyone about our defensive approach, I tell them first and foremost that the foundation of what we do came from Coach Bennett. And I call Coach Bennett the father of the pack line defense. He originated it, and there's not a lot of things that we originate as coaches, but he he originated that form of defense and how to the nuances of teaching it. And so that's who we are today, 
and it's been really, really good for us. Now, we're not going to get, let you do a clinic today on it, but uh, we, another time we'll do that. But, uh, you know, just uh, give, we're going to do a, uh, like a one, two minute thing. Uh, and I'll ask you a couple of questions. So we're going to mini teach this to uh, coaches that have no idea what the hell pack line is. Okay. <laughs> okay. So if the ball is on, uh, let's say on the wing, okay, uh, talk about first. Uh, where we're influencing the basketball to be dribbled at that point. Well, and that's a great that's a great starting point. A great question we get asked all the time. We say no baseline. We okay. are not giving up the baseline under no circumstances. That is a that is one of our non negotiables. Okay. Um, we we then so then you're asked. Okay, so you force it to the middle. No, we do not. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's just semantics, coach. No, it's not. It's not semantics, but we're we are not forcing the ball middle. We are very much squared up on the ball when it's on the wing. In other words, the back of our head, the spine of our back is facing the rim. Uh we are not influencing you one way or another when we're defending the ball on the wing, but you absolutely cannot give up the baseline. And that goes back to how we play the low post. We don't we want to avoid rotations. Rotations put you in foul situations, mm-hmm. which we don't want to do, and they put you in situations uh, from a rebounding perspective where you're at a disadvantage. The pack line defense inherently will make you a better rebounding team. And so, consequently, that's why we don't force a baseline, which we used to do back sure. in that first 10 years. And then you've got to bring that post player out to stop the drive. You've got to rotate someone across the baseline, and then you've got to cover wide and help down and help the helper. And now all of a sudden you've got that 5'11", 6-foot guard that's trying to block out a 6'7", 6'8", post player, in my case. And, you know, if he doesn't get that job done, I'm on his tail. You know, what's your problem? Why are you not blocking out? Well, in reality, he's doing everything within his possible being to – prevent that guy from getting the rebound but he can't win that battle he's doing everything you told him to do right exactly yeah exactly so that's we're just trying to avoid those rotations and that's the biggest reason jim i I missed it i'm sorry on on the post defense so how how are we playing a post i'm sorry we're three-quarter three high. Three-quarter top side. Okay, okay. And, no, I didn't say it. I just said it. it okay. It's back oh, how we play the my, post. My so fault. You didn't okay. miss it, Coach. Okay. <laughs> You're not okay. missing I'm anything. sorry. I know you. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. we, uh, we're three-quarter high, but any post feed that goes in, we're immediately sliding behind the post to take gotcha. away any ankles to the rim. Our base defense is to, uh, to once the ball goes in there, that's code red, that's 911. We, we've got to get the ball out, but we're going to choke and dig it with our perimeter players. But frankly, we're very much like uh, Virginia does today. We, we trap all feeds that go into post, and it's been really good for us. It's, uh, it's eliminated that scoring option for opponents. What happens is teams just, they just quit throwing it in there. And, um, so we we pretty much trap anything that goes inside. Yeah, I think that's so smart because kids can't pass number one out of there, and uh, co- coaches. I'm sorry to tell you this, college coaches, high school coaches. You don't have a clue what to do when you throw the ball into the post. Sorry, you know. Yeah. Sorry, you don't. Okay, <laughs> go to go to go go to PGC basketball or coaching you and figure out what to do when you throw it into the post offensively but you don't have a clue what to do and that's why you can trap down all the time on that 
scheme wise you know and I, Absolutely. so so uh, so we're both in 100% agreement i love this and now this is I'll, I'll tell you a funny story after this but now wing pick and roll now the guy comes to you playing that wingman which i agree with straight up okay what i call square as you're saying uh now the guy is going to come over from the top of the key or from the opposite side opposite low post he's going to sprint into a ball screen are you doing what tony is doing and giving a hard hedge or show whatever terminology you want to use on that we are, uh, and frankly, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you, I really, and you and I spoke about this a few years back, I really love the, um, the concept of downing or mm-hmm. icing uh, the side ball screen. But it, it, it so conflicts with our yeah. theory of not allowing the ball uh, to go baseline that hard hedging the ball is, for us, not for everybody, but for us, is a lot better option and so and the other part of this is simply this um and it, I'll, I'll give a two-fold answer here the first one is we used to try to go underneath of a lot of ball screens okay and you, you know what happens the screener rolls into you and now you're in all kind of trouble you've created offense you've you know the the ball handler can shoot it he can drive it downhill You've just given them too many opportunities uh, to to be free and selectful with the basketball, and they don't ever call that a foul when that guy rolls into you and pins you. So right. we, we we don't even want to deal with that. So we go over top of all ball screens, every ball screen we're going over top of with our perimeter or our ball defender. Um, and then the second part of this is, and this again is just us. There's so many ways to play this game. That's the beauty of college basketball, that there's just so many ways to play it. And you've got to face those different ways throughout the season. And I think that becomes the challenge for every team having to be able to go against an opponent one night that's going to press and play up tempo. And the next night, someone who's going to slow it down and play half court man or, you know, maybe a team that plays all zone. So every night you've got something different to, to face. But going back to my uh, initial statement, we want to guard things one way all year long. And what we found is that gives our defense an opportunity to progress and improve and our players to really grasp how we're guarding it as opposed to change what we're doing for every opponent that we play. Mm-hmm. In other words, setting up a scouting report defense. Right. Our changes occur as per how we guard you individually, but not how we guard uh, actions and situations. We want to guard those, for the most part, with subtle changes, the same throughout the season. And so we tell our team, our game prep starts day one of practice and we'll start guarding ball screens in October the same way that we're going to guard ball screens in March. And that's that's just phenomenal teaching. I mean, you know, and that's how people that's how players master what you're teaching is that there there's consistency on that. In college, I've been with teams where every freaking game you're changing how you're defending defending things which is insanity uh so i you know in the nba we just we have two other ways maybe to play something only because of the extraordinary talent and the number of games we play that we but we always start out 
you know, this is with Chuck and UB especially, we always start out with our base defense. Always the same. Right. It didn't matter right. who we were playing. But if, if someone was wearing us out, what we found in the NBA is they're not very kind to you as a coach. So <laughs> it, so if Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan is wearing you out and you say, well, no, we're going to keep doing it this way, they just go, you are one dumbass, you know. So, you know, so, so we, we, you know, you better give them a solution to help them win the game. So that's the only time. But we always are committed to doing it, yes. and uh, I think it's, it's really a good way. I'll tell you a quick uh, Tony Bennett story. So Tony and I have become fast friends, and we're doing a podcast one day, and it's during the NBA playoffs, and Tony says, uh, you know, we're, we're – all of a sudden, he said, I, got, I, got, I don't know if you ever remember hearing this. He said, i got to tell you what my dad did last night. And I said, what's that? He said, he called me up during the playoffs, and he said, you know what, Tone? I think we need to start downing and icing the ball screen on the wing. Because he said, look at all these NBA teams doing it. I think it really – we're allowed in pack line to bring our people over as far as we want. You know, there's no illegal okay. defense like in the NBA. He said, I really think it would it'd be impossible. The guy will never get off the ball screen. I thought that showed me, from Dick's standpoint, that he was committed to the game and to oh, doing what's best as opposed to this is what I'm doing and I ain't wavering. I don't care what's going on. And I thought that was really neat. And, and Tony, uh, like, said, wow, you know, Dad's interested in this. This is interesting. I said, you know, do, well. do what your father says, son. But, uh, no, I thought it was uh, – and Tony's team uh, covers ball screens better than any team in college basketball. They do a tremendous job. Yes. And let me parlay on that story. I did a clinic with uh, with Coach Bennett probably four and a half, five years ago uh, in Minnesota, and we had a chance to sit down and, and visit for a while. And he told me that – he goes, you know – he goes, I've watched this NBA game and how they're guarding these screens, and I just don't know that maybe uh, Tony needs to really think about doing something a little bit different. How about that? And I shared that with Tony uh, last, uh, not this summer, but the summer before, and he started laughing. He said, yeah, I get that all the time. Yeah, and, that, and that's exactly when Tony and I were doing this conversation. It was like two summers ago, and it was I thought it was just kind of neat and stuff, but Tony's not listening to that. Uh, but but I, thought that was, I thought that was awesome, you know. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter 
at fast model. Uh, now, the biggest challenge, I think, in man-to-man -man defense at every level, especially in the NBA, is no one hardly knows how to guard a middle ball screen, for lack of a better word. Uh, anything in the middle third of the court, they are really screwed up. Okay, how do you do it? Well, first of all, we do, uh, taking what you've just said there, uh, we divide the court into those two areas, side ball screens and middle ball screens, so that we're only dealing with those two areas. And we would have one exception uh, to a side ball screen, which would be a step-up ball screen, where the ball screener, the screener has his back to the baseline and the ball is trying to drive downhill on the outside. We would guard that the same as we would guard a middle ball screen. Okay. All all middle ball screens we guard, we call it level show, where gotcha. our ball defender is still getting over top of the screen. Our screener defender is leveling out, and he's at the level of the screen. His responsibility is no dribble arounds. He cannot let the ball beat him. You know, Coach, what, what my thought going into ball screens is very uh, simple. We we want to take the ball out of the equation. If we, we feel like if at our level, if we can prevent the ball from having choice decisions in regards to passing, dribbling, and scoring, then we've put ourselves at an advantage as opposed to a disadvantage in guarding the ball screen. And then I believe that the ball screen consists of three layers. Layer one is the ball defender. Layer two is the screener defender. Layer three is the off-ball defenders. And all three of those layers must be connected. You're never guarding the ball screen two-on-two. Two. The ball screen's always being guarded by all five defenders at our level because all five defenders are allowed to do that. Sure. So we want all three of those layers to be connected. Um, now, we will switch some ball screens. And we will do that. Uh, we'll do it in late game situations where we don't want to give up the arc. And so what we'll do in practice is whenever we're working, if we're doing a two on two drill or a three on three drill or a four on four, unless we designate the four on four drill not to be, then we bl we call it blitzing. We will blitz all ball screens. We'll switch them. So that way we're teaching our team throughout the season and throughout practice to be prepared for those moments when we decide to go to that alternate uh, defensive tactic in terms of switching the ball screen. Right. But we do have some guys who are incapable of that. You know, I've got a, uh, like all of us, we've got some guys that are not mobile enough uh, to guard in a switch situation and keep the ball in front of them. And so in those scenarios, uh, we're going to be level show. Uh, on all of them yeah. and try to string that sucker out as far as we can and allow our guard and it just fits back in you know one of the things that we tell our our ball defenders you know if I'm guarding you on the wing and you drive a baseline and you start to get an edge on me I by all means don't want to ride your hip we, we use the terminology get off and get ahead I want to get off of you and get ahead of you to reestablish my own ball stance and it's the same in guarding the ball screen. We're getting over top of the ball screen. And we use the terminology body up, body in, body over. And we're getting over top of the screen. But if you get an edge on us, you get you start to get ahead of us. We want to get off of you and get ahead. And our 
screener defender must give us room to do that while corralling the ball and keeping it in front of him. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love the level ball screen concept. Let me ask you this, though. In the, in the middle ball screen, the thing that we kind of were kind of famous for at Detroit that Chuck Daly did, you know, not I had nothing to do with it, but Chuck would come up in middle ball screen. Isaiah or Dumars or Vinnie Johnson would come off that middle ball screen and Bill Lambier would pick and pop. How, yeah. how, how do you, how do you uh, handle a situation like that? That's a great that's a great question, and obviously at our level we see a lot of that because we're, you know, basically the four, our one through fours are, are perimeter players, um, and sometimes one through five are perimeter players sure. at the Division Two level. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when we have that great pick and pop guy, we are recovering to him. We're seeking leverage to recover with our screener defender, but in the meantime, to buy him time. We give a hard stunt with the nearest perimeter defender on the pass. And we're hoping to freeze him just enough that we can recover with high hands and prevent that shot. Now, Coach, if he's a knockdown shooter, we're going to switch it and live with it. Gotcha. So that we take that away. Yeah, no, I think that's great. You know, I I absolutely love uh, the level that you coach at, you know, uh, Division Two. That's where I played at and played for an incredible coach in in New Jersey. And uh, the great, I think some, it's my favorite level of basketball in in the U.S. And I think the coaches at that level are absolutely spectacular. And you're in a great conference, you know, the Gulf South. You know, Lenny Acos, one of my dearest friends, what a great coach great, he is. Great you know, coach, does yeah, a tremendous job. Yeah, tremendous And so job. the coaches in your conference are fabulous, you know. Outstanding coaches. Yeah. I think the league is one of the most athletic and quickest leagues in the country. Our region is is second to none and the coaching in the Gulf South Conference is absolutely phenomenal. There's you've got to bring your A game every night. If you don't bring your A game, you're gonna get beat in our league. It's just that simple. Exactly. And and you know and what a challenge it is. You know, uh you know, you and and now when you went to Delta State, okay, and you know and you've been there now, you know, you stayed there and you've really grown your program and stuff. What, 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 why, how, and not why, but how have you been able to do that? Uh, you know, and, and, you know, and, and to a really high level, how, how, how's, how does one go about growing a program like that? Well, as, as we all know, it starts with culture. We, we all talk about culture. It's such a buzzword, but yeah. culture, you know, literally culture each strategy for lunch. I mean, culture always precedes positive results. You're not going to be successful without having a great culture in place. Mm -hmm. And so that everywhere we've been, and as I've mentioned, I've kind of been a build it guy and we get asked that question often. Well, how, well, it starts with, with building a great culture and culture is just, it's really, it's, it's who you are. It's how you live. It's what you do. And that, that's, pick it it gets down to its leadership and its people it's not signs and slogans it's leadership and its people and the winning is in the picking it's getting the right guys in your program that fit who you are coach bennett said this a long time ago and it's always it's always resonated with me when you're building a program when you're starting a program when you walk into a new program Recruit guys you can lose with first before you win. And when you say that to people, they kind of look at you like, what? 
and you know you're you know wrap your head around this think about it let it soak in for a second recruit guys who are going to be loyal to you to your culture to your identity to who you're trying to be when you're going through these tough times because there's going to be tough times uh when you're building a program you're going to go through some very difficult uh adversity and it's your ability to stick to who you are and what you do to create the foundation to build from. And so you want guys you're going to be able to go to battle with and aren't going to abandon ship at the first sight of anything going wrong. Uh, so that's the number one thing. And we have been extremely fortunate here. I've got a tremendous coaching staff that just work their tails off and love the game and do a great job with it. We have surrounded ourselves with talented young men, but young men who really are committed to who we are and what we do and have total buy-in. You know, when I first started coaching, we hated that word buy-in. I mean, you know, you shouldn't have to sell what you're doing to your team, but you have to. <laughs> we are salesmen. They have to – They've. you've constantly got to sell to them, this is why we're doing this and this is this is what we do. Um briefly we 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 say we're a players program and we we try to do everything we can to cater to that notion so the number one thing is and the first thing i did when i took the job here was reach out to former players and former coaches because we want to embrace our past who we were who we've been um you know you always want to talk about tradition never graduates well You've got to have that tradition, and I think it's important to to bring that into who you are and what you're doing to move forward. So we, every chance we get, we want to recognize our former guys and just treat them like kings. So a couple of things we did is we have a mural in our locker room that is uh, it's just a collage of pictures of guys that have played throughout the years, and we've had some we've had some unique coaches and. And individuals here, Ed Murphy coached here, who oh, went on wow. to coach at Ole Miss, sure. and uh, and then in our league at West Georgia, and it's I think he was at Southern Miss. Well, maybe he wasn't at Southern. I think he was there as an assistant. Mm-hmm. Mel Hankinson coached wow. here. You know, St- Steve Reeves was did a tremendous job here over the years, and still resides in Jackson, Mississippi, and is up here to visit with us often. Uh, and then players, Gerald Glass played here. Uh, you know, who went on to play in the NBA. Uh, Todd Munt, who played for a cup of coffee with the uh, with the Celtics, Jeremy Richardson, who went on to play with the Magic for a while, he played here. Um, you know, so we've ha- we've had some great players and great coaches. We want to recognize those guys at every opportunity. And then, obviously, the second part of that uh, that idea of being a players program is your own guys and making sure that you're doing a great job with them and that we're giving them every opportunity to be as successful as possible. But it's not just about being on the basketball court. It's about preparing them, as we initially spoke, to be successful in the broader community and to produce leaders that are going to go out and be you know, successful husbands and fathers. Um, and then the third part is recruiting. We want to recruit guys who are going to be champions and who who want it just as bad as we want it and are just as passionate about it as we are and we feel like if we can get those kind of guys we can we can give up a little bit of talent to get guys that are committed to that end and we're we're going to be fine and so we we may not have the most talented team but we've got a team of individuals that are really committed to the 
to the philosophies and to our the pillars of our culture. I'll tell you what. Uh, I know next week you have a free clinic coming up on the you know on the sixth and seventh. I think this weekend coming up. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know you're amazing the things you do for coaches, and I think that's why it's paying dividends for you and your program. But I also admire and love how you give of yourself and teach, and you're committed to teaching people around the world the game. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's kind of like a magnet that brings us together, you, me, Starkey, and others. And so I thank you for that, Jim. I really do. And I admire it so much. And uh, what an honor to have you on. Yeah, I want I want our coaches that, you know, that listen to our podcast, which are so many, uh, to, to understand the greatness that we have in so many, not just at the Power 5 levels, please. You know, we have great high school coaches, great prep school coaches, JCs, NAIA coaches. Uh, you know, and of course, D2, D3 coaches. So uh, thanks for what you do for the game, for your kids and stuff. And what an honor to have you on. Appreciate you. Well, Coach, for, let me say this in closing. The honor's all mine. Uh, and, and I know you hear this all the time, and but frankly, you can't hear it enough, the, the great job you're doing for all coaches out there. And we are so appreciative of everything that you do. And I know um, I look forward to each week listening to you and, and growing my game and learning. And trust me, uh, my staff can't wait to hear when I come into our next uh, uh, staff meeting and say, well, I listened to Coach Sir, and this is what I picked up. And we need to start thinking about these things. So <laughs> thank you for all you do. Well, I, I'm glad I have an influence in Mississippi because, gosh darn, I couldn't win a game in that state last year. But I appreciate that so much. And uh, I look forward to hopefully I can get over and visit with you this year. We'd love to have you, Coach. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you so much. 